Good morning, folks. Thanks again for uh, tuning in online to Liberty Grace, and I pray that you are all well and that uh, things are moving in a direction that you can be thankful and understand that God is still in control. That's what we're going to focus on this morning as we look at Mark chapter 14, but kind of before I get there, I want to be honest and say, hey, this has been a lot for for many of us to understand and to sift through, and we have not all done it at the same pace, and we will not. I pray that our conversation will be always full of grace and seasoned with salt as we're directed uh, in the scriptures, that we would handle it in a way that would be glorifying and honoring to God as we continue to move through the various stages that we find ourselves in. In light of that, this week at Liberty Grace, we've begun our children's ministry, and that'll be uh, the 945 service. There will be just nursery, and at the 11 o'clock service, there will be full child care, and so if you've been waiting for that, then uh, we're going to begin that this Sunday. Uh, that's today, um, the 6th of September, and uh, we look forward to seeing you there uh, we're going to continue to produce these online videos for those times when you can't make it to church, but we would really hope that, that you would rejoin the body and that we would continue to fellowship together, that we would draw from the bond and the encouragement that comes from, from being together. So 9.45 and 11 o'clock, and we're going to follow some of the procedures that we have set in place to uh, to continue to socially distance as well as clean the facility, and make sure that you're as comfortable and as safe as possible. You know, uh, as we look at Mark again this week, we're, we're following up with another section of Mark chapter 14. We broke it into two halves. There's 70-some verses in Mark 14. And so there's a phrase in here that we're going to start with because it it feels a bit like it applies directly to the world we live in. And, and in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, we see Jesus talking with his disciples. And he uses the phrase in verse 27, he says, You will all fall away. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And what Jesus was referring to was a prophecy from Zechariah 13, 7. And that prophecy needed to be fulfilled for things to happen in this world that would affect our eternity. This was a, another piece of what Jesus was here to do is fulfill these prophecies. And as he is struck, as the shepherd is struck, the sheep will be scattered. He tells his disciples this, uh, and then he heads off into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he prepares to pray. He spends the night in that garden in prayer and in agony. He is totally aware, fully aware of what is coming and what his father is asking of him. And so he is agonizing knowing what is to come, the pain that is to come, and where he is going to have to suffer physically and endure his father turning his back on him for a period of time and then to be reunited uh, through the resurrection after three days. 
He knows all of that, but the pain and the, the frustration, the emotional pain, the physical toll takes a tremendous toll on Jesus in the garden. And he tries to get his disciples, right, to pray with them, and they keep falling asleep. And you can see the beginnings of this, that, that as the shepherd is struck, the sheep will be scattered. They won't be herded together anymore. The shepherd will be gone, and, and there will be a scattering that happens. And it doesn't take very long, and Jesus is approached by a mob then in the, in the garden. And we're going to pick it up at verse 43. So it's Mark 14, verse 43. And Jesus was speaking. One of the twelve appeared, and with him was a crowd. And they were armed with swords and clubs. And they were sent from the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one that I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And the men seized Jesus, they arrested him, and the one who was standing near drew his sword and he struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus? that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me. Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me there. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus knew this point of loneliness would come, that, that his disciples would be scattered, that that was what needed to happen. The scriptures must be fulfilled. He had told them ahead of time of his plan, what would happen. His mission was now coming to fruition, completion. He was going to be arrested by the religious leaders, taken and tried in a court at night, illegally found guilty, and then he would be crucified, just as the scriptures say would happen. All of those things would have to be fulfilled, and he had told his disciples ahead of time all of these things that were going to happen, but in the moment, the disciples would have seen an incredible scene. They would have been part of the passion of what Jesus was here about. He would have prayed with them. He would have tried to prepare them for this. But yet nothing can prepare you for when your world is turned upside down. You have this instinct. They call it uh, fight or flight. And in that moment when the disciples were in the garden with Jesus and this mob shows up with their clubs and their swords and Judas steps forward and with a kiss betrays Jesus. I can't even imagine what went through the disciples' minds. As their world was unraveled in a moment as they seized him and this time he didn't get away. They, they held him. 
He said, I am he in another version of this story in another gospel. And everyone fell down, but yet he went with them willingly, offering up his body as a sacrifice for us. Peter, the disciple that was near him, fights. He reaches over, grabs his sword and cuts off an ear. <laughs> and Jesus looks at the people and says, am I leading a rebellion? Wasn't I just in the temple teaching and you didn't arrest me there? Why are you coming out with swords and clubs? And, and he heals the servant. And we know all of these pictures. And the reason all of this is so swirled around, even in my mind, is I'm looking at it as these details that I know. And yet I can't imagine having been there and gone through it. Having endured three years of teaching and serving and, and walking with Jesus to see this moment come and to watch him be led away. Not sure what would happen. Not sure if they would come back and try to arrest me. Were they going to round all of us up and put us all to death? And so as the scriptures are being fulfilled, everyone deserted him and fled. So Jesus is alone with his captors being led to a mock trial. The disciples' world had been turned upside down. We're going to follow Peter in this specific account. You know that Jesus had already told Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, of course, famously said, I won't fall away. Even if I have to die, I will not forsake you. And so in verse 53, we see that Peter is still processing and he's following at a distance. It says, in Mark 14, verse 53 and 54, that they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law. They all came together, and Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And there he sat with the guards, and he warmed himself at the fire. And so Peter is still following Jesus as initially it began, right? Jesus on the beach looks at Peter and says, follow me. Peter is disoriented, his world upside down, and yet he is still following. Although it be at a distance, he's following Jesus, follows him into the court of the high priest. He's with the guards. He's warming himself by a fire, just thinking, I'm sure, to himself, what is going on? What am I supposed to do? He had already fought, right? He had flown, he had run, he had deserted, and then he had followed him again. So he had fought, he had flown away from Jesus, and now he's back already following and processing this. And this is a, a picture to me of what our Christian life can be like sometimes, that when our world as we know it gets twisted and we don't feel comfortable anymore and we can't see God in the details, we fight it, 
just like Peter cut off Malchus's ear. He was confused. He was scared. He was concerned. All of those things as he saw what was going on in the garden and as he followed Jesus, as he ran away and came back, he was wrestling with all of the emotions. And he found himself by a fire with these guards still trying to sort out what the next move might be. If we fast forward down to verse 66, we see the denial that Jesus had already predicted in Peter's life. It's a reaction to being asked if he was a follower, right? We know from the indications of Scripture that Peter was a follower. He, he followed Jesus right into the garden. He fought for Jesus. Yes, he fled, but now he's following him again. And, and he's followed him to this courtyard in verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around this time, this fellow's one of them. And again, he denied it. After a while, those standing near Peter said, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. And he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed, the second time. And when Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he wept. He broke down. And he wept. The microcosm of couple of moments that are mostly an evening in Peter's life, the crystallization of his faith, the desire of his heart being made firm and secure. What is it that he really believed about Jesus? There was anger, right? He, he immediately flashed to anger and, and he drew his sword and he thought, I'm going to protect Jesus. And then there was rejection as he was reprimanded for fighting by Jesus and Jesus heals Mal Malchus. Now, the, all of the disciples would flee, including Peter. Yet he would be in the distance and he would follow him. There would be frustration as this young servant girl approached and says, well, surely you're one of those people that were with Jesus. I know you. And the crowd joins in and says, but you're a Galilean. You're one of them. And the frustration boils over in Peter and he reacts again and he says, no, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
he is really struggling to understand his place in the world at that moment. Who was he? He was a follower of a man named Jesus that he believed was the Son of God. He was witness to miracles, healings, all of the good and right things that Jesus did and taught. He saw all of those things and needed a moment in his life to bring some clarity. You see, Jesus being with them, they, they had hope in Jesus, but, but having hope in Jesus while he is walking and talking and performing miracles and doing those things is very different than having hope in Jesus when he is removed physically. The disciples' world became what we know. A world of hope and faith based upon something that happened that, that they were witness to. And yes, they spread the word about Jesus and changed the world on account of him. But they also had to believe. They had to have faith. They, in this moment, he was being condemned to death and he was being led away and they were going to see those things play out and their faith, their hope would be crystallized in these moments when it would be tested. You see, faith isn't faith until it's exercised, until it's really crystallized in our own minds. Till we discover who we are in Jesus. Our world has been upside down. No one would deny that. The entire world seems to be confusing, concerning, frustrating, all in one moment. All of those things that, that we held as hope, the things that we looked forward to, the, the idea of a summer vacation maybe, the, the stability of a job has been turned upside down and we have been thrown into this fight or flight kind of mentality. Are we going to fight for what we believe is right? Are we going to just flee into our homes and try to protect ourselves and, and, and get away from those persecutions that are happening that we perceive? And really the question that I have to answer myself and the question that you have to answer is, what have we been pinning our hopes to? What has been the thing that we have most desired to see that when we get out of bed in the morning helps us, that leads us, that guides us? As we think about our world being turned upside down, it's not the first time 
generationally speaking over and over again our world is twisted and turned so that our faith and our hope may be exercised and we might be able to crystallize again and firm up what our hope is truly based in and it's not something that happens overnight it's not something that all of the sudden it just clicks and it's fixed for Peter he denied Jesus those three times calls down curses he swears to the group I don't have any idea what you're doing and then he remembers something that Jesus said that you're going to deny me three times and he remembers the truth of who Jesus was and yes, his heart is broken. He, he breaks down and he weeps. And isn't that the culmination, the crystallization of all of this process for us as well? The time that, that and I don't talk about this a lot. I'm not an overly emotional guy. I don't want to lead us into a, an emotional Christianity that is based on how I feel, but, but there are times when I have to get in touch with my love for the Savior. And in this moment, Peter understands the depth of his sin. He realizes that, that Jesus was true and right and good and the Savior of the world, he was God. And he told me, I'm going to betray you three times. And it happens, and he weeps. He weeps. It didn't happen right away. There was frustration, there was fighting, there was fleeing, there was all of those things, right? All of these, these mixed up emotions that all of us go through. And we need to ask, what are we pinning our hopes to right now? Even in the middle of this pandemic, are we pinning our hopes to an election, a vaccine, racial unity? All of those things are things that we need to consider in this world. Noble things, valid concerns. But at the root of all of those things, as Peter's world was turned upside down and the king that he had said would come, this was happening very differently than he planned. Things were changing and, and at the root of it, the question is God still in control when the world doesn't make sense? Peter asked that question. The first century Jewish community were going to they were going to have to ask that question. The Christians that were spread all over the world in the diaspora for 2,000 years of pain and turmoil in this physical world, the question at the root of it all is God still in control when the world doesn't make sense to us. When our human knowledge fails, when our understanding can't see what God is doing. And really it was ultimately answered before 
most of these events happen because we're given a picture of Jesus in the garden answering the question before he's led away. The answer comes directly from the Son of God when he gets on his knees and he prays and he weeps for the circumstances that are around him. And he submits his will to the Father. He prays, not my will, but yours be done. You see, we don't have to fight or flee. We have to just wait and watch. That's what Jesus told us the last time I got to speak, right? That, that we're supposed to watch. We're supposed to look for things that God is doing in the everyday, and it's not easy. I get caught up every day worrying about finances or worrying about my kids as they make the next step in their life. What will happen a year from now? What's going to happen no matter who wins the election in November? But at the base of my concerns, I've got to return to the question in my own heart, is God in control when all this other stuff doesn't make sense? And the answer I want you to consider is the answer that Jesus gives. In the garden, before all of these events begin to take place that we're going to cover tonight and today and the rest of these uh, couple of weeks. That Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. Peter and some of the other followers and us, <laughs> we must come to that point of understanding that that this is God's world we get to live in it and he loves us and there's something today that we can do for somebody else that shows them the love of Jesus whatever that is but you're not going to hear it if you're caught up in your fight or flight mentality, if you're so overwhelmed by your circumstances and they are dictating what is controlling you, only when you quiet your heart and get to a place where God is back in control will you be able to hear what it is that he wants you to do in service, whether it be to the church whether it be for your neighbor, whether it be to the person that you work with. There are things that God is asking us to do to encourage the world to remember that he is in control. And I pray that we do it well together, church. That we do what we are good at. That we offer a part of us for the greater good that we sacrificially give of our time, our resources, those things that God has given to us that we can bless others with. And as a result, we are bending our will to what God has willed for this world. 
Father, I pray from my own heart that as the scriptures say that I ask that you forgive my unbelief. That as I struggle with the frustration and the lack of being able to see what you're doing, that I come back to the center and remember that you are in control and that you love us, that you are our help in trouble, that you provide for us what we need. Lord, I pray that we would continue to look to other interests, to someone else's benefit, that we would help one another out, that we would love each other better tomorrow than we did today. I pray that for my own heart and for those who hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.